0: Scripture reading this morning is in the Gospel of Matthew, in the 14th chapter, verses 13 through 21. For those of you that are looking that up, um, while you're looking it up, I've got a confession to make. i got a tendency to get overwhelmed, to worry a little bit, become a little anxious at times. Anybody else out there feel that way sometimes? Um, I, I, I've I have to divide whenever I have a large project that needs to be done. I've got to divide it into kind of smaller steps so that, so that I don't become oftentimes paralyzed with fear. I can remember even whenever I took my first job in youth ministry that I was on a mission trip with another youth group as an intern and, and, and a pastor friend of mine, John Moore, called me and he said, Hey, I've got a job for you. All you've got to do is answer the phone and say yes. And I was afraid to answer the phone um, because I became overwhelmed by, by what that meant to be in charge of a youth ministry, to, to take charge and to do what it was that God called me to do. Um, when I left that church at Broadmeadow UMC to go to Minor Memorial in Walls, Mississippi, I had the same reaction. I went and visited with the youth group and half of them didn't even know who I was, but I became overwhelmed by, God, how are you going to use me? And if I'm honest I had the same reaction coming to Philadelphia first. God, how are you going to use me in this church that has such a history and has done so much? I, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what you're going to do here. And, and I could become paralyzed with fear. The fear of not knowing, the fear of not being enough. And, and, and I could become overwhelmed by worrying And not be able to do what it is that God called me to do. And with that in mind, I want to call you to our scripture. Again, our scripture is Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, where we hear these words. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. And I do want to take a moment to let you know when it talks about this, when he heard this, what he's talking about is the death of John the Baptist. So he hears about the death of John the Baptist, and he has retreated to a deserted place, or so he thought. Because beginning in verse 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate. And all were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces. Twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning we hear about Jesus. He finds out that his friend John the Baptist has passed and and he goes to a deserted place. It doesn't say why he went to a deserted place. It may have been because he wanted to be alone. He was in—he was sorrowful for what had happened, and he wants to be alone. But for whatever reason, Jesus goes to this deserted place. And in verse fourteen, we hear that Jesus finds out, even in this deserted place, that he's not alone. Because the second that he shows up, there's a crowd there, and they're searching for him, and they're looking for him. And you know, I don't know about y'all, but for me, if I was seeking to be alone, and there was this crowd that was searching, I'd continue to go, and, and to hide, and to try to get away. But Jesus does something different, and if you, depending on the translation you have, it says Jesus had compassion for them. He didn't just have compassion for them because Jesus had compassion for them. And then it says that he goes on to heal their sick and their broken. Now, compassion is one of those words that we use a lot in our everyday vocabulary and we use a lot in the church. But it's one of those words that you, can, you know what it means, but you don't know what it means, if you know what I'm saying. Like when somebody was to say, hey, define the word compassion, you'd go, you know, it's having compassion. But the definition for compassion is one, or for someone that has compassion, is someone who is sympathetic, has pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. So Jesus has been moved to concern for this crowd and their sufferings and their misfortune, so much so that it drove him to move past his own worries and concerns and cares to address the cares and concerns of the community. And this is what compassion draws us to. To care for sufferings and misfortunes in the world. Not to just sit idly by and go, ooh, well, that's bad. But Jesus takes it one step further because he calls us to put our compassion into action. He calls us to not just sit by and go, oh, we need to fix that. That's not okay. But to go and to actually do something about it. You see, he sees the sick and he sees the broken. And what does it say that he did? He was moved by compassion to do something and he healed them. And as all of this is happening, the disciples start to look around. They're they're there and they see what's happening and they... Because of their compassion, notice another need amongst the people, and the need is that they have found themselves out in the middle of nowhere, and it's starting to become dinner time, and they're hungry. The disciples have the eyes of Christ; they have a heart for Christ because they are—they feel compassion, and they go, "Ooh, look! There's a problem. They're hungry." They're able to look out into the world and see the problems. And I would dare say that we're a lot like the disciples. You look around on Facebook, you turn on the television, you listen to the radio, you open a newspaper, whatever it may be, you can look around and you see the hungering in the world. Whether it's physical hungering and those that are starving somewhere, or whether it, it's hungering for equality, or whether it's, it's, it's hungering for love and compassion. Whatever the hungering is in our world, you don't have to look very far to see it. Those that, as the scripture would say, are groaning. But we do a lot like the disciples did. And we stand idly by and say, somebody should do something. You see, the disciples notice the hungering, but what do they do in the story? They go and they tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, fix this. And, And I feel like we do the same thing. We see a problem and we go, you know, Jesus, fix this. And then we go and we sit down and we go, I did good today. But Jesus in our story and Jesus in our lives is saying something different. Jesus is saying, you go and feed them. He's saying, you can look around and you see this world that is hungering for God. You see this world that is hungering for love and unity, forgiveness, mercy, compassion. And what are you doing about it? Are we just sitting by and going, yep, that's wrong, that's wrong, and pointing it out? Because Jesus' reaction, I think, is the same reaction that he gives to the disciples. You feed them. You put that compassion to action. When you see something that's out of line with, the reason, with what it was created to be, when that's out of line with the kingdom living, you do something. There's a quote that I came across this week that says this, Discipleship means taking on the impossible task of declaring the good news to the poor, unbinding the captive, liberating the oppressed, reconciling the enemies, and feeding the hungry. Not saying this is too much and sending them away. So there's a lot of things that can keep you from translating your compassion to action. Maybe for you, the thing that keeps you from moving from compassion to action is fear. Maybe you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of failure. You don't want to. This is one that I hear a lot. We don't, I don't want to enable those people. Or I don't want to re- reward their bad behavior, and so whenever I see somebody that needs help, I'm not going to help them because that would be enabling them and encouraging them to keep doing what they're doing. And what happens is we we blame the object of our compassion. It's their fault. Or maybe, it, if we're honest, what keeps us from going from compassion to action is just that we're lazy. It involves us doing something and we're like, eh, I'm good. Maybe we're overwhelmed or burnt out and we find ourselves going, haven't I done enough? Whatever the reason, many of them stem from a core issue of ego. We ask questions like, what's in it for me? What, what, how is this going to benefit my life? In my own life, if I do this, will the pros outweigh the cons? We find ourselves not acting because of our own prejudices, asking questions of how will this benefit me? As I mentioned earlier, my pause personally stems from fear and anxiety. From, from finding myself so overwhelmed by the magnitude of the issues that we can see in our world that, that my, my mind starts telling me, how can you help? What difference can you make? That the issues are too great. Where do you even start? Whatever your reason is, whether it's our inability or our or our unwillingness to act, whether it's fear, anxiety, or worry, I believe that we can learn something from this story this morning. You see, the disciples noticed the hungering, and their response was, to tell the people to go fix it themselves. They're not willing to do anything about it except for to say, either Jesus, you fix it, or we're going to tell them to go fix it for themselves. We, don't, we can't do it. But they want the hungering to be fixed. Their heart's in the right place. And I think that's so many of us. We look around our world, we see the hungering, we see those in need, we see those hurting, and we go, God, God, I just, I wish that it would be better. I wish something would change. I know the world is not as it should be, but I wish that it was different. And we give a plan sometimes. We, we, we create a plan and say, this is what I'm going to do. And we say, hey, God, this is what I'm going to do. Now bless it. Instead of the other way around, you see, the, the disciples went to Jesus and they said, this is our plan that they need to go somewhere to get their own food to, find, to fix the problem. Now, we want you to bless our plan, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you've got it backwards you should have come to me and asked what the plan was to begin with. Because we do the same thing. We go, God, this is what I'm gonna do. Now, if you'll just bless it, that'd be great. Instead of going, God, how is it that you would have me to act in this time, in this place, for this need? What is it that you would have me to do? And I mean, if I'm honest, I'm guilty of this as well. Most of my anxiety and my worry stems from thinking, how am I going to do this? I have a tendency to dream real big and then become overwhelmed by my own dream. And the problem with this is that I believe that it's reliant on me to begin with. Instead of asking God, how may I be a part of your plan? I find myself saying, God, I've got a plan if you'll just follow along with it. So no wonder I become overwhelmed when everything is reliant on me. But scripture tells us to to give it to God and take on his yoke because his burden is easy and his yoke is light. But we miss that part, and we go, God, I'm going to keep doing it on my own. And when I need your help, I'll let you know. And we become overwhelmed because we see the hungering, We see the worries. We see the concerns of our world. And Jesus says, you feed them. And when Jesus says you feed them, we become even more overwhelmed because we go, Jesus, that's a huge undertaking. How do you expect me to do it? And we lose sight of the fact that we are no longer living in our plan, but we're living in God's plan. The disciples become too focused on their scarcity and their shortcomings, as do we. But Jesus says, bring it all to me. And he blesses what they give him God turns the failures into victories and scarcity into abundance because they're willing to trust. My hope and my challenge for us this morning, as well as for myself, is that over the coming weeks, days, that we will spend time in prayer. That yes, there is hungering and pain in our world, but that we will spend time in prayer asking God what his plan is and how we can be used for that plan. Seeking ways to be more in a more obedient church and more obedient disciples. To be honest with ourselves and God, as we ask the question, God, what's keeping me from translating my compassion? To action? Where are those places where you need to seek the guidance of Jesus Christ in your life? Where are those places where you need God's help to conquer the barriers? Where are those places that you need to be led by the Holy Spirit? Amen.